0: We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel.
1: We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. Again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. And one more time, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Was I ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also given, excuse me, and who has also put his seal on us, and has given us the Holy Spirit in our heart as a guarantee. But I call God as my witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your flesh, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the, but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of you, all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but let, to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Well, good morning. It's
0: good to see you today. It's great to, uh, to be with you, man. I was uh, just had flashbacks this morning in our singing with a cajon and uh, these folding chairs and, uh, and that uh, Kinzru song of our, uh, of our first uh, gathering that we had as Emmaus about four and a half years ago. We didn't even have this many chairs set up, um, about 30 of us singing our heart out. It's, uh, it's a joy to me that we get to uh, preach about the same Jesus today that we did then, um, then to 30, today to, to 300. It's just a joy to get to continue to do this with you, church, as the Lord um, continues to allow us to do that. If you're a guest here, man, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors, and I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, get to know you. I'll be out by the front door. I'll also invite you to stop by our connect table. I uh, would love to give you a gift, uh, get some information about you, answer any questions that you have about us, uh, and just make a connection that way. So please feel free to, um, to stop by there. Uh, covenant members, man, I, I, I love you, and it's uh, it's great to walk with you, and um, for those of you in here who are volunteers, which if you're a covenant member means all of you, right, you volunteer in some capacity for our church, uh, September is Volunteer Appreciation Month for us here at Emmaus, and so every day on our social media we're posting thank yous to individual Um, volunteers and just uh, thanking you for uh, unique characteristics in your um, personality and makeup and character and how you serve us. Um, But let me just also give a grand thank you to all of you who just serve uh, so faithfully, Um, especially those of you who are in kids who give up a Sunday every month to serve, or some of you twice when you fill in for somebody else uh, who give up to serve and to care for our children so that we can um, be in here and and, and worship and and hear the word. So thank you to um, all of you who are volunteers. Hey, if you're, yeah, you can give a round of applause. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that. That was good. Could you do that every week when I say something? I want that three more times today, right? Three more rounds of applause today. Um, not for me, though, for Jesus here at a moment when we get to the text. Um, hey. Uh, also, if you've uh, if you've been visiting and you're like, hey, what's what's my next step? Like, I'm, I'm interested in getting connected and taking further steps. Um, it's a great day to be in that position because today is next steps, uh, which means that immediately after the service, uh, Risa Woods, who is the director of hospitality here, would love to meet with you in our east lobby. So you'll go back out these doors, through the lobby, and into the second lobby, which is the east lobby, and she'd love to meet with you and just kind of give you, um, talk with you, give you some some answers to like the next steps of what it would look like for you to get connected farther with us. And if you're like, I'm ready to take those steps, I'm ready to begin the membership process, uh, then coming up in just a couple weeks is our membership weekend, September 21 and 22. It's a Friday night and a Saturday. No, 27 and 28. I get that wrong every time. (laughs) It's even in my notes wrong every time. I don't know how I did that. We're going to do membership weekend sometime, and we just want you to show up every weekend in case it's the right weekend, all right? 27 and 28, and uh, so come join us for that. And this is a great reason to manuscript what you do, right? To look and look at your notes, but if you don't write it down right, then it doesn't help you at all either. So come and, uh, and join us for that weekend. Just just so you know, the, the process of membership here isn't just like on a Sunday morning you get to come down and tell us you want to be a member. It's not even just that you'll get to go to that class. Like, it's a Friday night, Saturday class followed up by an application that you'd fill out which shares with us your journey of following Christ. What you believe the gospel is and how that gospel has been made personal to you through your faith in Jesus. Which is then followed up by one of our pastors sitting down with you. If you're a couple, we sit down with you as a couple. If you're single, we sit down with you individually. Uh, and, and we just want to talk through the gospel with you. We want to talk through Emmaus with you. We want to know you and your heart and your faith. We want to let you ask us any questions that you want to ask. Uh, and then the first week of November at our next members meeting, our covenant members would get have gotten to read your testimonies, your stories of faith. And they will have seen that our pastors have signed off on you if we've signed off on you to that point. Uh, and they will then through those vote with the confidence of yes on you becoming a member of Emmaus, So it is a process, about a two-month process overall throughout there. If you're like, hey, I'm just going to wait for the next one, just know the next one doesn't begin until February, right? And so that will be February through, um, through April will be the next process. So if you're considering membership at Emmaus, come join us for this class. There's already 40 of you signed up for it. Um, so come join us. We'd love to walk with you through that process of what it would look like to, uh, to walk with us in, in covenant community, all right? Hey, I want to pray, and then I want to dive into this text. This month, we're praying specifically for one of our covenant members, Mariella. Uh, Mariella is leaving us this month in another gospel goodbye. It seems like we're doing these almost monthly now, which is a beautiful, painful process for us. Mariella will be leaving us to go to East a- or excuse, excuse me, South Asia. And she'll be spending two years in South Asia as a missionary with the International Mission Board. And so um, later this month, we'll actually bring her to the front. We'll pray for her and we'll send her. Um, But we just want to begin to pray today as she's in the process over the next couple weeks of uh, of saying goodbyes. Goodbyes to family, goodbyes to friends, tidying up all the things, getting packed, figuring out the last logistics. I'm going through some, some final training, those sorts of things. So let's just pray for her as we do that. And then we want to pray for ourselves as we dive into the word here. Jesus, you are very, very good to us. What a joy to be here and to sing and to confess and to hear your word read to us. And I pray that this morning, Spirit, that you would preach a better word than I have prepared. That you would take the word of Christ, which we have here in 2 Corinthians, and that you would write it upon our hearts. That we would look to Christ we may declare by grace and grace alone. So would you do that in us today? And then we pray for our sister, Mariella as she's preparing to go, as she's saying goodbyes and as she's planning and as she's um, working out details and um, as she's searching her heart in preparation for going. I pray that you would give her grace upon grace and kindness upon kindness in those endeavors. And I pray that as she goes, that you would give her strength and health and discernment and wisdom and boldness and love for the people of the nation she's going to be in. And we thank you for the joy of being a church that gets to send over and over and over again. May it ever be so until you come back and our sending ends. I take this word, speak it to our hearts in your name. Amen. We're in 2 Corinthians, taking this journey, and 2 Corinthians is a, is a confusing book, if you will. It's confusing in the sense even of its title, right? The, the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians happens to actually be the fourth letter to the Corinthians, right? Which is very confusing for us. The, the first letter, what we call First Corinthians, is the second letter. There's a previous letter, which we don't have or know much about. Then there's 1 Corinthians, or the second letter. Then there's a letter that we see here today. He references called that we call the severe letter, which is always a wonderful na- name for a letter. I remember that severe letter I wrote you. And then we get what we call now the Second Corinthians. It makes sense, right? 1 Corinthians is the second letter. 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter, and in between is the severe letter, right? It's like my son named this, right? He's four, and he's counting, 14, 18, 22, X, right? And you're like, that makes no sense. But but it, it has some context for us because Paul's going to actually address this today. He's going to address the letter that he wrote and why he wrote it and why he didn't show up. In our passage today, Paul is defending his travel, Right? he's defending his travel plans, something that... Most of us husbands in the room have felt the need to do it from time to time. Well, we were going to go this way, but then I saw that this was going on, so we went this way, but I didn't know that there was traffic that way at this time of day, and then that road was closed, so sorry we didn't make the reservation, right? That sort of defense. It's like, we, this is what I had planned, but it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Um, please give me grace. One of those. And Paul does this. He, he defends what what looks like as as this grand defense of his travel and and you could argue that maybe perhaps he's just defending his travel. He's just like, "Hey, lay off of me." But but I think that there's something much bigger to Paul's defense of his travel than simply his travel. Something much bigger than simply his travel. Paul here is defending his travel for the purpose of giving them what I think are three assurances. He's defending his travel for the purpose of giving them three assurances. Assurance number one, he wants to assure them of the integrity of his gospel message. He wants to assure them of the integrity of his gospel message. Assurance number two, he wants to assure them of his personal love for them. So the integrity of his gospel message, number two, his personal love for them. And his third assurance He wants to assure them of God's unwavering faithfulness to them in Jesus. He wants to assure them of God's unwavering faithfulness to them in Jesus. And in the midst of these three arguments, he's going to intertwine his defense of his travel. It's going to kind of carry a theme throughout it of of trusting him, but trusting him because they can trust Christ ultimately. So let's look at these three assurances. Number one, assure them of the integrity of his gospel message, verses 12 through 14. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. Paul's integrity has been brought into question. He's being called duplicit, uh, wishy-washy, a flip-flopper, um, talking out of one side of his mouth, right, or out of both sides of his mouth. He's, he's saying to their face, hey, this is what I mean to do, when he knows in the back of his mind he's not actually going to do that at all. The reason he's been accused of this is because of travel plans that he's put forth. For them, You see, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul explains to them that he's going to come to them again. 1 Corinthians 16, he says, hey, I'm going to go to Macedonia, and on my way home from Macedonia, I hope to spend some time with you. In fact, I would like to spend the whole winter with you if possible, if the Lord wills. That's my plan. But I'm not coming now because I don't want to just stop by. I want some time with you. And yet something has happened and something has come and his plans have changed. And so they've begun to say, man, you'll talk out of one side of your mouth, you'll tell us what we want to hear, but you don't really mean to do that. And so Paul begins this defense of his travel by defending the integrity of his message. Because Paul sees that the integrity of his travel, his, his word to them, has weightiness on his gospel word to them. Right? If they can trust him with the gospel, they should be able to trust him to say, here's when I'll come and when I won't, and his motive's in that. If they can't trust him with that, then what stops them from then taking that and applying it to the gospel message he's proclaimed as well? They say, well, man, we can't trust what you're saying. You, you don't keep your word. How do we know you're not just telling us this right now about Jesus to please us, but it's not really what you mean? So Paul begins by defending his integrity. He uses the word boast, right? For our boast is in the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. And if you'll remember so far, what we've seen um, through 2 Corinthians is that the Corinthians love to boast. They're really good at boasting. They boast of their boasting. They boast in themselves. They boast in yesterday's victories and today's accomplishments and to tomorrow's aspirations. They boast in their wealth and in their power and Paul turns this idea of boasting upside down and he goes my boasting is not in my wealth or my complexity or my power my boasting is in my simplicity and my integrity by the grace of god not even by my own strength and so Paul begins to explain to them he says that generally and specifically with you corinthians we were very careful to practice simplicity to practice integrity in what we said to you. And we were very careful to practice this. We we weren't just casually throwing out this gospel message to you. We weren't just flippantly speaking things to you to try to please you. We were very careful to say what we meant to say. And what we said has truth to it. He says we didn't do this based off of our worldly passions, right, or worldly wisdom, but that we did this by the grace of God. In essence, what Paul is arguing for them here is that he's not relying on earthly wisdom, on gimmicks, on persuasiveness, on cleverness, on techniques. He's not relying upon these things to manipulate them, to convince them, to get an emotional response out of them. If you stay here with us much, you'll hear Pastor Ronnie often from this pulpit say, At Emmaus, we have no gimmicks, we only have Jesus. In essence, that's what Paul is saying here. Listen, guys, we have no gimmicks with you. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to use anything to evoke some emotional response in you. All we do is get up and tell you about Jesus. That's all we have. What a beautiful thing that is about here. But that, the way we do that, the reason we do that is because we see it here. This is what Paul tells us. It's what he leads us to do. He says, listen, don't come at them with cleverness. Just come at them with Jesus. Just share Jesus and trust the grace of God. He illustrates this for us in chapter 1, verse 13, when he says that they want to, that what they write to the Corinthians, um, he says, what we write to you is what we mean to write. Right? There's no hidden meaning or agenda. We weren't writing one thing and meaning another. There's no, you don't have to read in between the lines to try to figure out what we're saying. What we wrote to you was understandable. And we pray that it becomes more understandable to you. He carries this out in, second, in, in chapter 2, verse 17, when he says, we are not like many, peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity in the sight of God. Right? We're not selling a good. We're not giving you what you want to hear in order to get out of you what we want to get out of you. And We're not peddling this gospel. We're not selling it to you. We're just going, here's the product. Do you want it? Here's the simple Jesus. We're laying it on the table. No flash. There's nothing fancy that we're offering you with it. Here's Jesus. Don't you want him? In chapter four, verse two, he says this. We renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. What are those disgraceful, underhanded ways? He goes on. We renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to your consciences. We do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We are jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. He goes, listen, like we renounce this disgraceful attempt at sharing the gospel that puts any credit in our strength to persuade you to believe what we're saying. That is, that, is, that is evil. That is disgraceful, he says. We don't want anything to do with that. We're not gonna tamper with the gospel message. You responding to God is not because of our ability to cause you to respond to God. You responding to God is because of his grace, and we're trusting that. We're just broken, finite, ugly, cheap vessels that he chooses to use to bring about his gospel message. So Paul defends the simplicity of his gospel and the integrity of his gospel. And he ties this into his defense of his travel. He ties it into the defense of his travel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, again, what we referenced before, Paul comes and he says, listen, my plan is to go to Macedonia. When I come back from Macedonia, I'm going to stop by. I want to see you. And I want to spend the winter with you. And I love, let me just read it to you. I mean, Paul uses as many disclaimers as he can here to his travel. I will visit you, chapter 16, verse 5, after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Right? It sounds to me like Paul has put a lot of disclaimers on this. Here's my desire. Listen, when I'm with you, it is good. Like, I enjoy being with you. When I come to you, I get to present this this simplistic gospel to you, and it encourages your soul. And when I'm with you, you encourage me, and you build me up. We have a wonderful time doing this with each other. So I want to come spend some more time with you. I don't want to do so just in passing. That's not enough for me. I want to come spend more time with you. And so I'm going to go to Macedonia, and on my way back, I'm going to come see you, and I hope to spend the whole winter. I hope. It's, it's, it's my desire to do this, if the Lord wills. Perhaps I could do this. We'll see what, hey, what he does. So Paul comes, and he spends some time with him. But Paul gets eager, what we find out later. Paul gets eager. He can't wait till he comes back from Macedonia. So Paul stops in on his way. And he says he does so because he wants a second helping of grace. Right? As if one visit with you is not enough, I've got to see you now, and I've got to see you again later. Right? I need as much time with you as I can because it's just so good for us. It's just so good. But something happens on his first visit. On the way to Macedonia, something happens, we'll look at it in a minute, and it doesn't go well. And so Paul goes to Macedonia, and on his way back, he doesn't stop back in. Instead, he writes a letter. Instead, he writes a letter. For many of us in this room, it's like instead of that phone call or the face to face visit, we send a text. Right? Oh, that was easier. Just let them read it this way. And so his plans have changed. But Paul is so confident in his simple message of the gospel and the grace of God which declared from him will uplift their souls that his intention is to have two visits with him. He goes, listen, guys, I know this gospel will encourage you, so let's get a second helping of grace and let's do this twice. So imagine them as they see Paul come in. Paul shows up for the first visit anticipating this is exciting anticipating joy, perhaps being greeted with joy. They know he's supposed to come back after, but then he doesn't show up and they're disappointed. They're let down. So now they're calling him wishy-washy, a flip-flopper, duplicit. You said one thing, but you didn't mean it. Right? Does, we, this, this makes sense to us, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it make some sense to you why they would think this? I mean, let's not ride them too harshly. We've all done this. When someone says, hey, we should get together, and they never follow up with us about it. And we're like, yeah, they didn't really mean that. Right? When someone goes somebody, "Hey, say, hey, I would love to schedule a meeting with you. Let's get coffee. And you're like, Monday at 8, and then Monday at 745, they text you, and they go, hey, I can't make it. And you're like, man, I wasn't really that important to them. They, th- they said I was a priority on their Monday morning, but obviously I'm not because something came up so easily. They just bailed on me. And I want us to see, though, that they were ungraceful. That they were ungraceful with Paul. They didn't give him a benefit of a doubt. They didn't believe the best in him. They jumped to the worst possible conclusions. And church, it's not the main point of this text or the main point of this sermon, but let me just beg us not to be the Corinthians. Let's not be the ones who jump quickly to assume the worst about each other, who quickly doubt each other. Whether that's in your marriage, that's with your children, that's with fellow covenant members, it's in your workplace, let's not be the, the ones who quickly jump to doubting and assuming the worst in each other. Let's give grace in that. Give the benefit of a doubt. Paul says in verse 17, was I vacillating? Was I wavering? Was I flip-flopping? Was I going back and forth? Listen, I know I said I was coming again. I didn't. Was I just casually throwing that out when I said that? And the assumed answer is no. Right? What he's expecting them to say is no, you weren't. In verse 18, just as surely as the gospel message we've shared with you has been one of integrity, he's saying, integrity and simplicity, just as surely as the Jesus we preached to you is full of integrity and honesty, so were our motives and our changes of plans. Right? This is where he's going with this. Right? Our, our motives in sharing the gospel with you are full of integrity and simplicity, so were our motives in not showing up. You can trust this. In one way, Paul's using his defense of his travel and there are quick misconceptions to point out how easily they can assume the wrong thing. And how easy it is to assume the wrong thing even about his gospel message or about the Jesus whom he proclaims. You can see the path, can't you? If they can't trust him when he says, I'm, not, I'm coming, I'm, now I'm not, then what's to say they can't trust him when he says, this is who Jesus is? And then what's to say they don't trust Jesus when things don't go the way they think they should go with Jesus. I'm trusting you, but life is really hard right now and I'm suffering. Remember last week, Paul's talking about suffering and affliction. Life's really difficult right now. Jesus must not be what he says he is. I don't feel his comfort in my life. Paul, you just got done telling me that he will always comfort me in every area and all things. I don't feel it right now. So apparently that doesn't apply to me. So Paul's going, you can trust my travel plans, my heart for you. And you can trust the gospel message, and you can trust the Jesus whom I proclaim. Secondly, he writes to them to assure them of his personal love for them. Look at verse 23 through 2-4. through 2-4. But I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to, be, not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who, would, who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote you out of, the, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Right, Paul begins by calling upon God as his witness, which is a bold move. I mean, you have to be walking in clear conscience to do this. I'm asking God to testify against me if what I'm telling you is not the truth. That is a bold move. And he says this, he tells them, it was because of my love for you that I didn't come, and instead, I wrote to you. Right, I didn't come to you, verse 23 says, to spare you. I refrained, I wanted to, and I didn't, to spare you. To spare them from what? He says, another painful visit. Because his surprise visit on the way to Macedonia got painful what we learn is that a man has come forth and confronted Paul to his face in an ugly, ugly situation. That Paul has faced this accusation and this critique and this ugly attack on him, his message, his character, his apostleship, and that the church did not stand up for Paul. They didn't stand and defend him. They didn't have his side. They didn't correct the one who's bringing the charge against him. Instead, they took his side and Paul leaves wounded, betrayed, hurt. Paul leaves in pain. And Paul goes, I didn't come back to you because I didn't want another painful visit. I didn't want a visit that would be painful for you. And I didn't want a visit that would be painful for me. Last time, man, that that, that, that hurt. Guys, I know you're upset I didn't come back, but can we just be honest here? Do you remember the last visit? That went bad. I left in so much anguish. I left in affliction. I left in tears. All words he uses in a moment. That went bad. And I didn't want to come back because I didn't want more pain. And I didn't want to cause you pain. You're like, well, how would he cause them pain? Because if Paul came back, he's probably coming back with gospel force. In fact, this is when he writes the severe letter. And in the severe letter, he calls them to discipline this man who confronted him and to remove him from the church. And what is at stake if the church does not do this is that this church ceases to be one of Paul's apostolic churches. There is a grand, grand weightiness at stake, and they're dealing with this man's sin and their faithfulness to the gospel message Paul has declared. You're in danger of not even being a church. And if I would have come back to you in the state that I was in and the state that you were in, it would have been painful. You weren't ready to receive it. I wasn't ready to gently give it. Seen in my severe letter. So I decided to avoid giving all of us pain and to hold off on coming to you. Paul says, I did this so that you might know my love for you. He tells him he didn't want to lord his apostleship over them. I didn't want to flex my muscles. I didn't want to come in and force something upon you. So I wrote to you, not to cause you pain, but to show you the abundant love I have for you. Christian, in our confession a moment ago, we talked about how we should not avoid confessing our sins. and We should not hide our sins, cover over our sins. And there's so much truth to that, right? It's, that's absolutely the truth. And it's also true that as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the church with each other, we are responsible to each other to help each other pursue confession and repentance, This is what the whole book of Hebrews is calling us to do. We preached through that a few years ago. It's us as the church helping each other reach the promised land, right? Reach the shore. Don't let each other fall away in the faith. When you see sin, help each other see sin, confess sin, repent of sin, turn to Jesus, keep trusting Jesus. And there's some of us in this room who absolutely refuse to have any hard conversations with someone else pointing out their sin. We're riddled with fear or apathy towards doing that. But but here's the danger that I see in the culture of our church. Emmaus is not a church that lets us slip past confession of sins easily. It's ingrained into everything that we do. From our Sunday morning gatherings to the way that we do community groups to your personal responsibility to each other in covenant membership. I don't know that our great danger is avoiding conversations that point out other sins, calling them to repentance. I'm afraid we may slip into being too quick too aggressively, painfully point out those sins. Now, when I say that, it might sound like I have a series of things going through my mind, illustrations that I'm just like holding back from you. I actually don't have any of those. I'm not saying this because I think that we are an ungraceful church with each other. I think we're a very graceful church with each other. In fact, I hear from you all the time how immensely graceful you are with each other. But what I see as a dangerous slope we could slip down is being the one who shows up ready to drop the gospel hammer before first assuring them of our gospel love. That we're too harsh rather than too gentle. We're too quick rather than relying on the Spirit to work within them. Perhaps we need first to assure our brothers and sisters of our personal love for them before we lower this gospel hammer on them. I love you. I wanted to give some space, but we need to talk now. Let's talk about what needs to be addressed. so he assures them of his personal love for them. And then he assures them of God's unwavering faithfulness to them in Jesus. Chapter one, verse 18 through 22. As surely as God is faithful to our word to you, excuse me, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, He's assured them of, his, um, of the integrity of his message, and he's assured them of his love for them out of a foundation from and for the purpose of reiterating God's faithfulness to them in Jesus. He goes, listen, don't just take my word for it. It's not just upon my character that you can trust what I'm saying. It's because of what Jesus has done in and through me and who he is that you can trust me. But also... Let's just take a moment here and go, this is who Jesus is. I mean, this is Paul's character. Everything that happens in life, he's like, hey, that reminds me of Jesus. Hey, that reminds me. I got to tell you something about Jesus that that just brought up in my mind. And here he goes, listen, you can trust me. I wasn't yes and no. You know what that reminds me of? Jesus. Because in Jesus, we never have yes and no. It's always yes. And what's he mean by this? Paul is saying that all of God's promises have found their answer as an affirmative yes in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the answer, the yes, to all of God's promises to us. All of God's promises can be ours and are ours, When we place our faith in Jesus, because of all of God's promises, find their yes in Jesus. Jesus said something like this in Luke chapter 24. If you stick around Emmaus long, you'll hear this passage taught once a year. It's where we get our name, Emmaus, from. And on the road to Emmaus, two disciples are walking, and Jesus is with them, and they don't recognize who he is. Jesus has just been crucified. He's risen from the dead now. They're talking about all of this. They're confused. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. They don't know what to do. And Jesus, it says, Luke says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, interpreted to them about himself from all of the scriptures. So Jesus is walking with them and he takes them back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, throughout all of the Old Testament. He goes, what this said, that's about Jesus. What this said, that's about Jesus. He doesn't tell them it's him yet. He's just saying what that said, that's Jesus, and the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus, and the fulfillment of this promise is Jesus. Only at dinner that night are their eyes open to see he's Jesus. He's the fulfillment of these promises. See, Josh, what what promises are fulfilled in Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. In 2012, Kevin DeYoung posted a beautiful list of this at the Gospel Coalition on his blog. So if you will, I'm just going to put my head down and read it. Jesus is the promised seed of Adam who would crush Satan's head, Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham through whom every nation on earth would be blessed, Genesis 12:3. Jesus is the ram in the thicket provided so that the children of God would not be slaughtered, Genesis 22. Jesus is the son of Judah who reigns eternally as king, whose garments are washed in the blood of grapes and whose hand is on the neck of his enemies, Genesis 49, 8-12. Jesus is the Passover lamb who was slain to protect God's people from the angel of death, Exodus 12. Jesus is the greater son of Israel who came out of Egypt, and he is the great redeemer who brings his people out of bondage and slavery that is far worse than anything the Israelites experienced there, Exodus 12 through 14. Jesus is the true bread from heaven that actually nourishes and feeds his people, Exodus 16. Jesus is the rock from whom the only life-giving water flows, Exodus 17. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, perfectly obeying not only the Ten Commandments, but all 613 from the day of his birth, Exodus 20. Jesus is the one through whom we enter into our lasting Sabbath rest, not just for one day out of seven, but for every day from now through all of eternity, Exodus 23. Jesus is our great high priest who offers his very body as an atonement for the sins of his people, Exodus 28. Jesus is the radiance of God, the exact representation of his being, and he is the very presence of the glory of God among his people, even more than the ark or the pillars of cloud and fire, Exodus 40. Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice that God offered on the altar of the Day of Atonement on Calvary, and at the same time, he is the scapegoat that was sent out of God's presence into the wilderness on account of the sin that he bore, Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. Jesus is like the bronze serpent that was lifted up, and when people look to him in faith, they find forgiveness and healing, numbers 21. Jesus is the star that shall come out of Jacob and the scepter that comes out of Israel, numbers 24. Jesus is a city of refuge for guilty sinners to run into and to find shelter, numbers 34. Jesus gives us every blessing for his obedience to God's perfect commands, and he paid a price for the curse we deserved for our very disobedience, Deuteronomy 28. Jesus leads his redeemed people into the promised land where they will dwell with him forever, Joshua 3. Jesus is our conquering warrior, victorious over the powers of sin and death, Joshua 5. Jesus is the righteous judge and savior who never fails to defend and protect his people when they repent and turn back to him, Judges 2. Jesus is the offspring of David whose kingdom has been established forever, 2 Samuel 7. Jesus is the very temple of God, which, though destroyed, was raised again in three days, 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 3. Jesus is our chief prophet and teacher who restores true religion by calling us away from our idols to return to the one true God, 1 Kings 18. Jesus is leading a remnant out of Babylon back to the Holy Land, Ezra 7. Jesus is... Jesus is Job's hope and ours because we know that our Redeemer lives and that at the last, he will stand upon the earth, Job 19. Jesus is the eternally begotten son of the Lord Most High, whom kings fear in his anger and who blesses those who take refuge in him, Psalm 2. Jesus was for a time forsaken by God on the cross so that those who are found in him might never be rejected, Psalm 22, and yet his body did not see corruption because, as David's saying, God did not abandon him to Sheol, but raised him physically with an incorruptible body, Psalm 16. Jesus is the shepherd of his sheep who restores the soul of his fold and leads them in paths of righteousness, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Jesus purges us with a cleanser much stronger than anything the hyssop branch can spatter on us. He washes us clean in his very blood so that we might be whiter than snow, Psalm 51. At the command of Jesus, his angels would bear him up lest his foot strike a stone. Yet he did not call on their aid but welcomed the cup from the Lord that the Lord had for him to drink, Psalm 91. Jesus is the greater son of David who will sit at Yahweh's right hand until all of his enemies are his footstools. And Jesus is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. Jesus is the word of God incarnate and the only lamp for our path, Psalm 119. Jesus is the very wisdom of God made manifest in the flesh, Proverbs. Jesus is the only purpose in life that matters, Ecclesiastes. Jesus is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley, and he is the husband who brings his beloved to the banqueting table and who satisfies her fully in his love. Song of songs. Jesus is assigned to Ahaz, one named Emmanuel, and born to a virgin, Isaiah 7. Jesus is the great light shining to people, walking in darkness, coming out of Galilee to the nations. He is the child who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, Isaiah 9. Jesus is the shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse, and righteousness will be the belt upon his waist. During the, his reign, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf will come together and the little child shall lead them. Isaiah 11. In the coming of Jesus, the glory of the Lord is revealed and all flesh shall see, shall see it together. Isaiah 40. Jesus is the Lord's servant in whom his soul delights and with whom he is very pleased. Isaiah 42. Jesus is Israel's only Savior, and besides him, there is no other, Isaiah 43. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was oppressed when he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He is the one who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we were healed. Isaiah 53. Jesus is anointed by the Lord to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And he comforts all who mourn. Isaiah 61. Jesus creates the new heavens and the new earth, and he will dwell with his people there forever, Isaiah 65. Jesus is the balm of Gilead that heals the sin-sick soul. He is the great physician who restores the health of his people, Jeremiah 8. Jesus is the righteous branch from David who will deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land, Jeremiah 23. Jesus ushers in the new covenant in his blood, a covenant written on, our hearts of his, on the hearts of his people and marked with his forgiveness for our sin, Jeremiah 31. Jesus, is the very manifestation, manifestation of the never-ceasing, steadfast love of God. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, for great is his faithfulness, Lamentations 3. Jesus brings life to dead men's bones. By his spirit, he causes breath to come where death has reigned, Ezekiel 37. Jesus is the son of man whom the ancient of days gives dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, Daniel 7. Jesus is the merciful husband who takes back his unfaithful wife and allows us once again to call him my husband rather than my my bow, Hosea 1 through 3. Jesus brings the day of the Lord, which will be a day of great terror and judgment for all who do not know him. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel 2. Jesus, the ruler from Bethlehem, whose origin is of old, from ancient of days, Micah 5. Jesus arrived as king in Jerusalem, righteous and having salvation. Yet he was humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, Zechariah 9. Jesus is the refiner's fire and the fooler's soap, refining us like gold and silver. Malachi 3. And Jesus is the son of righteousness, who will rise with the healing in his wings. And as a result of what he has done, we, like calves, will go out leaping from our stalls. Malachi 4. All glory be to Christ, our King. So stand firm in your faith, church. Paul goes, the reason I wrote to you, the reason I didn't come is because I loved you and I wrote to you because I want you to experience joy and a firm foundation of faith in Jesus. I get you might question me. I get you might not believe I love you and I get you question my travel, but the message I have preached to you, the message of Jesus Christ is a sure message. I was not wavering on that. And the one whom I preach to you is a sure savior. Jesus Christ can be trusted. He will not let you down. He is always there. Look to Jesus and trust him and may your joy abound. And then, quickly, if that was not enough, (laughs) God has anointed us and placed a seal upon us and given us the Holy Spirit As our guarantee. Tells us that the Holy Spirit is his seal, that all of these promises which are ours in Christ will not slip through our fingers. And that he is our guarantee, our down payment, our earnest money, that there's more to come. Let me give you the spirit to be upon you Feel how good it is to have him. Notice the grand gift I have just given you and take a deep breath and go, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. For all my promises find their yes in Christ. And you have been made one with Christ through faith. So three pastoral charges for you. Number one, Christian, declare a powerful and simple gospel and trust the the grace of God to save. Just declare a powerful and simple gospel. No cleverness, no tricks. Just tell people about Jesus. When you're afraid of what to say and how to say it, just tell them about Jesus. Trust the grace of God to save. Number two, Christian, love one another well. As Paul tries to get them to tries to assure them of his love for them, let's, let's assure one another of our love for them. Let's give one another the benefit of a doubt. Let's seek one another's joys and not pains. Let's don't lord ourselves over each other. Let's confront sin and love and patience. Let's give comfort, as we talked about last week, for those who are suffering. Love one another well, church. And number three, Christian and unbeliever alike. Look to Jesus. Pray, right? look to Jesus. All of God's promises find their yes in him. He's your hope, your joy, and your life. He will not fail you. You who boast tomorrow's gain, what is your life? A vapor, a mist but Christ, he will remain. All of God's promises find their yes in him. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, there are people in this room who don't know you, who haven't placed their faith in you, who haven't seen you as the answer, for their salvation, for their rightness with God, for the longings and the emptiness and the strivings of their heart. So Spirit, I pray that you would take the word of the Son and apply it to the hearts of men and women in this room, that those who do not know you would see the kindness of God in Jesus, that today they might receive the gift of the Spirit as a seal of their salvation through faith. I pray that you would take this word and that you would encourage our hearts today with who Jesus is. As we take this communion, this bread and this juice, and we remember that Christ is the bread that satisfies, that he is the living water, that his blood that was shed makes us clean. May we simply glory and revel and boast in a glorious, large, beautiful, unfathomable Christ. Today may we live leave here with a Jesus who is bigger than the Jesus we came in here with. May our minds see his grandness today. And would you save? I pray these things in your name. Amen. Come down to take from one of the three tables. If you have a gluten allergy, there's an option for you at the last table over here to my right. And then go back to your seat, and we'll conclude with a song. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you've not placed your faith in him, you've not made Jesus um, the God's promise to you, you've not seen him as that and trusted in that and placed your faith in him to, to forgive you, to save you, then our invitation to you is not to come taste this bread, but today to taste Jesus. To sit in your seat and to cry out to him and say, I need you, Jesus. Come and save me. And we promise you he will. He promises you he will. And every promise finds its yes in him. He will do that. Church, come and take me. Love you guys.
1: Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.